Hello? We're here. It's good to be here. And it's good to be looking at Genesis 11. Keep your Bibles handy. We are going to be uh, reading through a bunch of passages again tonight. So you will find it useful to be able to see a Bible somewhere nearby. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this part of your word. And tonight as we consider the origins, the beginnings of nations and tongues and world religions, we ask that you would show us that this is all part of your plan and that in fact it's part of your mercy, not just your judgment. Uh, Father, we ask that you would teach us to live in the world the way that you have made it to be. And we ask this for your sake. Amen. Well, are people improving? Are people getting better? I don't mean individuals. You, you may well know somebody who a year ago was a bit of a so-so and has now improved themselves. I don't mean individuals. I mean collectively, as a race, mankind, humanity. Are we improving? Are we on some sort of trajectory, a pathway that within the not-too-distant future is going to arrive at a peaceful perfect utopia (laughs) no well i don't know i mean it's conceivable that at some point we may arrive at a place where violence is done away with where hunger is a thing of the past where disease has been eradicated perhaps even to the point where we might be able to control nature such that disasters are a thing of the past see on the one hand you have the truly astonishing astonishing achievements of humanity you think in particular just the last few hundred years since the industrial revolution and and the technology that that has brought we have put people on the moon well probably anyway it depends who you listen to don't talk to joe about it the moon moves at 3683 kilometers per hour which is roughly a kilometer per second so if the moon was here now it's in Minto. Now it's in Campbelltown. I mean, it's just, that's the speed. And we threw a tennis ball and hit it. Not only did we hit it, but we managed to match its speed so that people could land on it. And then we managed to get them home. In the last little while, a man in Texas has discovered what is probably the mechanism by which cancer cells have remained undetected to our immune system. Isn't that astonishing? That conceivably within my lifetime, we will arrive at a cure for most types of cancer that doesn't involve surgery or radiotherapy or chemotherapy simply by triggering our body's own immune system against those cells. I mean, the internet, if you want a better example of what we are able to achieve. I can take my phone out of my pocket, push a button, and have a conversation with my parents who are currently in Bogota, Colombia. In fact, not only can I have a conversation with them, I can do a video call, and we can watch each other, and they can show me the pictures of the clouds, or whatever it is that they're looking at right now. It is astonishing what humanity has achieved. Now, of course, on the other hand... Really, all you need to do is turn the news on, right? I mean, what was it last week? Some drug-induced psychotic episode led one young man to bash another one to death. North Korea, where there is state-sanctioned rape and violence against women. Nigeria. Do you know what the death toll sits at in Nigeria right now? 6,000 Christian men, women and children killed this year. 
is humanity improving? If, if, only, if only we could just unite somehow. If only we could set aside those cultural differences, the language that makes communication so difficult. If only we could find the commonality that would take us into this peace. But that's not the world we live in. And the Tower of Babel, this chapter in Genesis 11, is the beginning. It's the origin, not just of nations and languages, but in fact it's a commentary on why it is necessary to have that sort of division. Now I'm going to read through uh, the first part of chapter 11 and make some comments on the second bit as well. So you'll find it helpful again, Genesis 11 and verse 1. This is where we pick the story up as we keep working through Genesis. The whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shina and settled there. Now it's kind of hard to work out the chronology. Where does chapter 11 fit in the timing of chapters 10 through to 12? Come back to chapter 10 and verse 4. Chapter 10 and verse 4. Or in fact, just go from verse 5. Right From these, from the sons of Javan, the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. So in chapter 10, you already have nations and languages. That's repeated the whole way through the chapter, right? Chapter 10, verse 20. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. Verse 31, these are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. I take it chapter 10 and chapter 11 go hand in hand. Chapter 10 is the genealogy, it's the description, the naming, if you like, of the nations and their origins as they descend from Noah. Chapter 11 tells you the how and the why. How do we go from one family, which is what they were, into the nations spread out across the world. Now, there's a little clue as to the timing in chapter 10 and verse 25. This isn't necessarily the case, but I, I, I kind of like it, right? Look, it, it, it's cute. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg because in his time, the earth was divided. Now, maybe there was just an earthquake, and so they named him Peleg. Or maybe this was the time when the Tower of Babel happened. Just before he was born, the earth was divided, so they named him Peleg. I don't know. If it was the case, then it happened 100 years. Peleg was born 100 years after the flood. Now, at latest, Terah, by the time he comes along, Abram's dad, I mean, it's definitely happened by then, and he lived 263 years. So we're somewhere between 100 and 260 years after the flood, probably. Now, here's the interesting point about those numbers. That means that Noah was still alive when the Tower of Babel happened. Shem, Ham, Japheth, they were still alive. The people who had lived through the flood were still alive. You could go and talk to great-great-great-grandpa about the time he built the boat. You could go and talk to him about all the, how he had to get the animals in there and how the giraffe and the lion kept fighting. And you could go and find out what God had said to them. Because God gave a word to Noah. He was supposed to do something very specific. Come back to chapter 9 and verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. Down to verse 7, same again. As for you, be fruitful, increase in number, multiply on the earth, increase upon it. 
Noah's command, it's Adam and Eve all over again, right? You're the last one left, you're the only one now, start populating the earth. Go, spread, scatter, fill it, have children and inhabit this planet. That was the word that God spoke to Noah. So what did they do? They found a plain and they settled there. Back in chapter 11, verse 3, they said to each other, come... Let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone, tar for mortar. They said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Go and fill the earth. How about we just stay here? It really was Adam and Eve all over again, wasn't it? Not just the command, but the disobedience. The very thing God told them to do. Ah, let's not do that. Let's do our own thing instead. There wasn't an individual seeking of of, of autonomy from God, but a corporate one. Together, they said, let's just plant ourselves. Let's build a city. And inside that city, let's build a tower. So that we may make a name for ourselves. A name to who? I mean, the, the whole of humanity is there. The whole of humanity is inside this city and you want to have a reputation. Who's going to know your... Well, I think God. There was somebody who they wanted to make a name for themselves before. There was somebody as they raise a tower up into the heavens that they wanted to overthrow, that they wanted to be free of. Let us do what we want, not what God wants. And God... I think really he's having a bit of a laugh at them, to be honest. He he just mocks them. I mean, did you notice verse 5? We're going to build a tower all the way to the heavens. Verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. Oh, you think your tower is so big. Oh, this pilly little thing down there. I'm going to have to come a bit closer to see it. They're not reaching into heavens. The Lord said... If as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come. And he uses their language. They said, let us build. He said, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. And so he scattered them across the face of the earth. Imagine what the next morning was like. (laughs) I mean, yesterday, you and Shadrach and Enoch were over building the West Wall and Today you come out and you say, oh, where's the hammer? And they're like, what are you... And they start talking funny and you're talking funny and neither of you can understand each other. And for a little while you think maybe a practical joke is being played, but it kind of goes on a bit longer than a joke should. And then you realise something's not right. And so God spread them. Why was it a problem that they could do anything they wanted to? Why was it a problem that united they would be able to achieve whatever they wanted? Well, I think it was a problem, at least for two reasons. I mean, don't get me wrong, right? God's actions in spreading them were definitely judgment. He told them to go and they hadn't gone, so he judged them for it. But they were also acts of mercy, It was an act of mercy to scatter them. See, the first problem, if they'd stayed united, is the problem of unfettered evil. 
The problem of being able to do whatever it is that you want to do with no checks and no balances. It's the problem of a dictator in the end. They can do whatever they want. And what is it that people want? World peace? No. Love and happiness? No. People want evil. That's what's happening again here. What is it that they want? The thing that they're going to do? Cast away God and make ourselves God. It's what humanity has done ever since Adam and Eve. This is really just falling back into Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Do you remember the description of people back then? Every thought of their hearts was only evil all the time. And that's the way they're going to go. If God had left them with the capacity of doing whatever it was that they wanted, they would have ended up in just a horrible, horrible, evil, wicked mess in no time. If you have no neighbours, there's nobody to tell you to stop. You can play the music as loud and as late as you want, so to speak. If there is nobody around you, there are no boundaries to your evil. You can do whatever you like. It's interesting to reflect in, on, on the world stage. The nations that are, are kind of the worst are all in conflict with somebody. When you go too far down the path, others will seek to bring you back. It's just one of God's kindnesses, a, a small grace. The first problem is unfettered evil. They can do whatever they want and what they want is wicked. Which brings us to the second problem, and that is that it would leave them unseeking of God. I had to start both with an un, unfettered evil, so we had to go with unseeking of God. Sorry if you are particularly like words, that's a bit mangled. See, on their own, if they were left to their own devices to do whatever they want, in some ways, life would possibly have ended up being good. I know it's kind of the opposite. You're going to end up in, in evil and wickedness, but that's what you want to do, so life will kind of be good. And when life is good, you don't need God. If they had had a life of wealth and comfort in their comfy homes, enjoying their holidays, with enough money to eat well, not worry about clothing or transportation, to be able to go to good schools. and I'm still talking about them, by the way, not us then you don't need God. I've got in mind Acts chapter 17. If you're a quick Bible flicker, come to Acts chapter 17, although keep a finger in Genesis 11. If not, just write it down, Acts 17, verses 26 to 28. Acts chapter 17, from verse 26. Paul is speaking to a gathered crowd, and he's speaking about God. He says this, From one man God made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them in the exact places where they should live. That sound familiar so far? Why did he do it? Verse 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. See, to spread mankind across the world was a mercy such that as they were dispersed, they might maybe seek God rather than sit in their ivory tower, replacing him. And I take it as they go, they take their false religion with them. I mean, they, here they are setting up their own gods 
And as God spreads them, off they go and take those gods out into the world. I take it this is the origin of the world religions, not just of nations and languages, but why it is spread like that. It's interesting, Joshua 24 verse 2, if you want to look it up, Terah is described, the father of Abraham, as a pagan, as a worshipper of other gods. Within just a few generations of Noah, the righteous one who walked with God, they've lost it completely. Off a bunch of pagans. See, the Tower of Babel, really, I think we should think of it much like the flood. It is God's act of both judgment and mercy upon a people who had turned their backs upon him. I wonder if that's why they built the tower. If they thought, well, if God brings a flood again, we're going to get away with it this time, eh? So Genesis 11 then is the origin of the nations, of cultures, of languages, of world religions. But it is also the origin, it's also the beginning of God's salvation plan. As he chose one family, in fact, he chose one man from which to begin a line out of which the Saviour would come. And so verse 31, back in Genesis 11, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans, from Babylon, to go to Canaan, which would in time be the promised land. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And so it begins. We'll pick it up next week as the journey of this family begins with astonishing promises. What do we do with Genesis 11? How do we apply this? I've got five points of application, really more than implication. Number one is this. Division is the character of our world. Division is the character of our world. And division is the character of our world because it suits God's purposes. That's a strange one, isn't it? Division is the character of the world because it suits God's purpose. There is a time for unity. There is a time for being joined together and to Him. But the nature of the world and humanity is that it is divided and separated on purpose. It's not like somehow it's accidental. And God went, oh, whoops, didn't mean that to happen. I better try and get them all back together. It's like, you know, it's like hurting cats. I can't get them back together again. No. Everything that comes as a consequence of this division is part of God's purpose. Everything from, from the, 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 the miscommunications of language. I mean, they can be, they can be really minor or they can be quite problematic. Uh, I heard the story of a man who was uh, a missionary to Argentina, as it turns out. Not my dad, actually. I should clarify that. He'll probably listen to this. Uh, and I heard the story of him when he was trying to learn Spanish. He, uh, he, went to a, he was invited to a barbecue. He'd been to Argentinian barbecue. Happy days, lots and lots of meat. And he wanted to say thank you very much. Now, anyone know enough Spanish to know how you say thank you very much? Yeah, very good. Muchas gracias. Right? Yeah, you're all very good. Now, you tell me if you can hear the difference between muchas gracias and mucha grasa. The first one, muchas gracias, means thank you very much. The second one, mucha grasa, means mm, very fatty. <laughs> and that's my, okay, you get away with it. The same guy was preaching at one time. Again, still learning the language. And he's preaching away, very passionate in his, in his kind of half-broken Spanish. And he saw a lady sitting in the front row who was like that. She's, mmm. She's, no, he says, esa mujer está embarazada por estar aquí. Right? He, he wants to say, that lady is, is, is embarrassed by being here. She just didn't want to be there. Unfortunately, he didn't quite know the word for embarrassed. 
So he just thought, well, embarrassada, embarrassed. It sounds, that's got to be the word, right? Pregnant. That's what the word means. It's, It's part of the nature of our world. Everything from these miscommunications with language all the way through to the wars that happen because our cultures clash and our religions are different and our language makes it hard to understand. And it is that way because it suits God's purposes. Second application, the arrogance of humanity will continue. Make no mistake, we are going to keep trying by whatever means possible to establish ourselves as immortal. To knock God off the perch and put ourselves there. We are going to take, try whatever it takes. It's the story of humanity. It has always been that story since Adam and Eve. And it will continue to be that story until the Lord Jesus returns. You want to go and read an example in the Bible. Just go and look up Daniel chapter 3. And go read the story of Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, that, right? He builds a tower and he says to the whole world, worship me. Now, then just go read Daniel 4 to find out what happened to him. But I don't know what it's going to look like in our age. I don't think anyone's going to be crass enough to build a giant gold statue and say, worship me. Maybe it's modern medicine. Maybe it's genetics. Our ability to modify humans. I don't know how it's going to play out in our generation. All right, division is character of the world because it suits God's purpose. Secondly, arrogance of humanity will continue. Third application. A time is coming, though... When we will rule the world. A time is coming where under the Lord Jesus, at the very least his people, will achieve that peace and that unity and that end of disease and death and disaster that we so long for and desire. But it's not something that we need to strive for. It's not something that depends upon our united power and effort. It comes in the Lord Jesus. Do you know what he's going to do when he comes back? He's going to give us a city. We don't need to build one. The new Jerusalem is a city that he will give us. He's going to give us a name. His name. God's people. We don't need to make a name for ourselves. And he won't give us a tower, though. Sorry if you really wanted one. Um, we, We won't need one. For the dwelling place of God will be with us. And we will live with him forever. See, just as Jesus reverses Genesis chapter 3 and the curse, he also reverses Genesis chapter 11 and the separation, the division, such that the picture, when we come to Revelation 7, the picture of God's people is of every tribe and nation and tongue gathered around the Lamb, worshipping him. I wonder if it's a, we get a little blast of it at Pentecost. As the Spirit descends and they just start speaking the gospel and everyone hears in their own language. It's just a little, a little glimpse of it. Application number four. Peace is good. But don't expect humanity to solve all its problems through it. Peace is a good thing. It's good to desire to care for others and to see an end to poverty and to see an end to war and to want to care for the downtrodden and the needy, to to share aid where it's possible. It's a good thing, but it will not achieve even its own goals 
let alone loftier ones. For all the things that we do in the pursuit of peace, in the end, are temporary. They're going to go. They're going to burn when this world burns, if not before then. Treaties fail. Nations end up warring again. Language is still broken down. I mean, sure, right, right now we're in a good place, but the world's been a good place plenty of times. And then it descended into bad places and it happened again and again and again. And so fifthly, you need to know that there is one action and only one action that has permanence. Because there is only one thing that is going to last into eternity. Do you know what it is? There's only one thing that lasts into eternity. No? People. People. It's not your house. It's not your clothes. It's not your job. It's not your mortgage, thankfully. Right? It's not... The only thing that lasts forever is people. And so the only action that has eternal significance, that has permanence, is the proclamation of God's word. You preach the gospel to yourself, such that you will be found firm in the Lord Jesus on the last day, such that you will grow and mature and be edified now. You want to talk about self-care. How often do you preach the gospel to yourself? We're good at resting. We're good at entertaining ourselves. We're good at taking the R&R. We're good at taking the mental health days. We're good at taking time off when we're sick. How often do you preach the gospel to yourself? Because that is the only thing that's going to continue on. Do you preach the gospel to other Christians? Such that they will be built up and edified and still firm and faithful when Jesus returns. It's good to take the meals when they're sick. It's excellent to take the meals when they've had a new baby. It's great to go and do a load of washing for them because they're under the pump. It's fantastic. Don't get me wrong, they're all good things. But you preach the gospel into their lives, you speak the word of God, and you are helping edify them in a way that will last forever. Wow. Proclaim the word to those who don't believe. That has eternal significance. For it is the only hope that they have of being pulled out of an eternity in the flames to join us with God's people. I wonder if you stopped and did an audit of your time. I had to do that when I was on MTS, when I was a trainee. My boss said, for two weeks, I want you every day that you're working, every 15 minutes to write down in a journal what you did. It was very painful, but it was a good experience. Or if you did an audit of your time and then you add it all up, how would it compare the amount of time spent on things that are just a breath and the amount of time spent in the proclamation of God's word to yourself, to your Christian brothers and sisters, to those who are perishing? Well, the Tower of Babel is the moment where God dispersed mankind around the world. And he did it for a purpose. It was his mercy to us to restrain evil and that each one of us 
perhaps might seek him. I want to finish tonight by making sure that you understand that. That you live, you breathe, you are where you are, you are who you are. You are in the cir- You're here at church tonight because God placed you there. He allotted the days of your life and the places you will go so that you might seek him. And in seeking him, perhaps find him. Please don't leave tonight if you know yourself to be somebody who has not sought God out. If you don't know yourself to be somebody who by faith in the Lord Jesus, by trust in him, has now the promise of the city and the name awaiting you. If you're still trying somehow, whatever it looks like in your life, to build your own tower, to somehow overthrow God and put yourself there, if that is still you, please... Please, sort it out tonight. You're here for a reason. Make it count. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Genesis chapter 11. This description so clear, so powerful of the origins of nations and tongues and languages and world religions. And yet at the same time, Father, an act of astonishing mercy on your part. We ask, please, for each one of us that we would know you. If there are any here who have not sought you, who have not found forgiveness in Jesus, who have not looked to start again with you, please, Father, may tonight be that night. And for each one of us, show us, show us how we can be working hard for that which lasts preaching the gospel to ourselves, to our brothers and sisters, and to those who are otherwise perishing. We ask this for your glory. Amen.